Welcome to episode 464 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with Emmy Award winning writer, director, producer, among other things, Marissa Nalavenko. And we discuss playing in the woods as a child, using a rotary television with just three channels, working with Amanda Gorman, PBS Kids, how the Emmy arrived in the mail, being brave, scary things, the honesty of children and family traditions. A wonderful conversation with Marissa Nalavenko this go-round. We have an EWSA titled American Dream, and we debut a new essayist on the program, Marnie Azzarelli, daughter of actor extraordinaire Dominic Azzarelli. She is something of a force. I think you'll see it when you hear her pop culture essay titled Holding Out for a Villain. We have an EW poem called Butterfly. And of course, all of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 464 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours.
American dream. Incredible Buddha magic and Catholic savage with thick fog warming the mountainside. She takes care of herself with perfumed lotion and warm balm. He smokes marijuana and tobacco to help stake his claim, concocting potions and notions regarding who is right and who is wrong, who is to blame, who are the weak and who are the strong. And there is still this debilitating shame just the same. The morning dogs bark a song into the melody formed in the bird trees and bushes that will still be here after we are long gone. White-tailed rabbits come out of their burrows among the deep roots and smooth rock beneath us. They hop around town. The paper boy is an endangered species, and the coal crackers still have black lung. The notion of an American dream is as far-flung as is this piece esoteric. While coming undone, right before our eyes, right under our nose, illuminated by the sun, the poetry, the prose, the dialogue, the tanks and bombs and factories, my $12 shirt and your paisley silk, green and pink skirt accentuates a figure so beautiful and strong and sensual and mine in this heart and mind. Do I have a soul? What is its goal? And time is the only measure that seems real and true as it passes through me and you. What are you going to do? Is this thing day in and day out all about love and leisure and talk and tears and selfish fears? The piano smells of fresh varnish and stain. The carpeted living room of nervous urine and mundane hope of riches and fame. Tickle the keys until a genuine melody echoes with the breeze through the rain and wind and calm. Clear blue sky goes on forever, beneath and above and within the throng. And this is your song. Gravity will win 
Right at 12.45. Oh, yeah. I'm very punctual. Fantastic. <laughs> Marissa Nalavenko, I presume. Yes. That's a great, great pronunciation. Well, thank you for being on the program. Really appreciate it. I Thank you for having me. It's an honor. And uh, 
Well, that's nice to hear. Thanks. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's share with the listeners a little background information before we get started. Marissa Nelavanko is an Emmy Award-winning writer, director, and producer with over 20 years of television and media experience. She has worked alongside top-level talent at national broadcast networks such as PBS, Lifetime Television, the Discovery Channel, HGTV, Animal Planet, and National Geographic. Troubadours and Rock on Tours is very happy to have on the program Marissa Nalavenko. And, um, you know, you, your Emmy, that's a big thing I want to get into, uh, though maybe we should uh, start with a little background about, about you. Like, how, how, did you, how did you get into television? Was this always a dream of yours since you were a little kid? Sure, sure. I, you know, um, it's kind of funny. I, uh, growing up, we grew up on a dirt road in the middle of uh, the Poconos, and my mom really was against watching television. So and uh, we had one of those old school rotary TV sets uh, that only got like three channels. And instead, it, during the summer, so instead of, you know, watching your cartoons, she would just push us outside, right? So we, and we loved being outside. I had, I had two sisters. And so we would play in the woods and make a lot of forts. But I actually didn't watch that much television until we would go to my grandmother's house and she had cable and, you know, all the, the, the shiny uh, different channels. And I really, you know, it was at that, that time when I was like laying on the floor of her, her living room, my grandmother's parlor, that I, I kind of fell in, I did, I fell in love with television. And I, in particular, I fell in love with commercials. And um, I just loved, it was sort of like a light switch, but I loved how they were making me feel a certain way. And I remember like actually crying over something silly, like a, like an AT&T commercial mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time. And I couldn't believe that this, you know, this little 30 second video was making me feel something. And I really fell in love with that. I fell in love with the idea of creating powerful content uh, and, and important content that could make people feel something. That's great, you know. It's mm-hmm. and you decided not to go to E Street, but to go to uh, you know Sesame Street, basically. <laughs> right. Well, that you know that took a little while to get there, but um, so so then I mean I could, I could continue going. I yeah, sure. After, uh, I I um, my first experience actually was at the local Fox TV station, where I I think I was about eight or ten at the time, and I I did some stand up like some stand up commercials for them. Uh, just promoting the next next kid series. So I somehow I think my mom knew somebody at the station, but I I started doing uh, I, I did like a, a few commercials there, and um, and then I went to school. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I studied communications and marketing, and uh, you know really learned about mass communication. Not so much the production side, but really at that point I was really thinking more towards like the marketing, the marketing mm-hmm. and, the, and the commercials. But I then, uh, for a summer internship, came back to that same Fox TV station and started creating some content for them. It was a, just a fantastic, just a fantastic experience. And that was really where I, you know, I, I learned a lot of my chops and, and got my feet wet and, and just fell in love with, with creating content at, at 20, really, at, at the age of 20. Just a kid. Just a really? Yeah. You know, editing is, is such an, un, I guess, um, 
I don't know if it's underappreciated, by the masses, art and craft, mm -hmm. don't you think? I mean, without a good editor, you, your, your work, your, your productions would be nothing. Oh, 100%. 100%. In fact, you really are only as good. It's a partnership. You're only as good as that editor who is, you know, creating, putting your idea and, and making it come, come to life. Uh, I, I just don't have that skill set to edit. I think, um, you know, I find it, and it's such an ever-changing uh, industry, really, with the technology. But uh, editing is 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 really the other. It's the yin to the yang of of the producing and the writing. So you uh, fancy yourself more so producer, writer, director, perhaps, and uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. And um, when you get to that editing component, is it out of your hands or do you, are you there every step of the way or looking at what they've done afterwards? Well, now I'm very fortunate. Um, I'm about, you know, 20, 20 years into this. So I'm able to really work with a handful of editors who I trust completely uh, and who know me and, and know, you know, what I write on paper and they take it to a totally different level. So uh, um, now I just, I, I like to, hand it off and give very little direction because we have this, you know, there's really a strong layer of trust there. And, and I think, um, you know, I have a couple of editors who come to mind, they, they make my work better. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I think when you're starting out, right. It, um, you're sort of going, you're learning, you're learning together. And, and I spent a lot of time sitting in the edit bays, um, not, you know, unsure, not really sure what I wanted, uh, a little timid, Mm -hmm. Kind of looking towards editors to to you know help guide guide the 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 content to the right place based on you know whatever the um, the mission was or whoever our audience is. Um, and but now I I feel like after after a couple couple years under my belt, really uh, having that partnership with with editors uh, really just sort of takes 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 the work to to uh, to the best place it could be. Well, and speaking about the best place it could be, a higher, higher uh, uh, sort of uh, level of, of uh, I don't know the right word, art, uh, craft, um, you won an Emmy. And I did. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's <laughs> something I'm sure you're very happy about and very proud mm -hmm. of. And, and you won it uh, working with someone at the time who wasn't really well known, but now is this, exactly should I guess is a household name or should be Amanda Gorman. Um, right. right. Tell us a bit about that. How you two connected? What was it like working together? And um, when you saw her on inauguration day, what what, mm -hmm. what were you thinking? Sure. You know, it's going to sound cliche, but it's like being at the right place at the right time. And it, it just that's really what happened here. So um, just back backpedaling a little bit, the, the project that Amanda was a part of was called the PBS Kids Talk About Race and Racism. And we uh, we produced this show in uh, in the summer of 2020. So it was it was the, the height of the pandemic. It was also, uh, you know, during the middle of the, the protests and all of the uh, the riots and and the Black Lives Matter movement, and I was a part of a PBS Kids team that um, that really you know really wanted to do something to help support our families. Really, I mean, we uh, PBS Kids is really a, a, about um, supporting 
supporting families across the country, right, and, and providing educational resources and, and, and really trying to um, represent the, the underrepresented. So, uh, so all this was going on. It was a really tumultuous time. And we, we, you know, we, we rallied and decided to, uh, to try to film, to, to try to, to get, we had about eight families uh, come to a, a studio in Northern Virginia and we, uh, we filmed, uh, I think there were maybe there were three from, from four year olds to nine, nine, 10 year olds and their, their parents and caregivers. And we talked about race and racism. We were, we were very, it was very sensitive topics. It was very real, very real conversations. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was beautiful. It was, it was beautiful and, and such a, an honor to be able to, to tell their stories and tell their experiences. And really with the whole goal of being able to model, uh, and help other families have these very difficult conversations around their dinner tables. That was really, that's the goal. So, um, we're filming on set and it's really, this is a whole, a whole team of of maybe, um, 10 people. And we, you know, we said, it's such a serious, serious subject matter. We, we need to have someone really ground it. We need a host. We need someone who, who can really usher these conversations and provide extra, um, you know, craft the message around these family conversations. And, um, so at the time I, I, I don't know if you, if you know, John Krasinski, who used to be from the office. Yes, uh, of course. Okay. So he had a during the pandemic, he had this show called Some Good News. Yeah, I loved it. I used to watch oh, it all I the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I was I was really hooked on that. And he had featured Amanda Gorman. He had a whole episode on graduation and and, and Amanda did, uh, you know, he featured her and then he had her recite an original poem. And she was just I mean, I fell in love with her as did all of America, right? Um uh, but at that time, she was still just on the cusp of really exploding and becoming huge. And uh, and then I think I had seen her in a United Way commercial. And so we were on set and, and we were trying to we were batting around a couple ideas of having a host. And, and I said, you know, what do, what do you guys think about Amanda Gorman? So we watched some of her videos and and we're like, let's let's go for it. Let's try. Right. Let's let's try. Let's see if she's available. And uh, and she was. She was available. So uh, we filmed her. Uh, she She's based in L.A. And uh, at the time, we were not – PBS had a, a, a freeze on any travel. Because so of I the pandemic, actually, basically? Yeah, because of the pandemic. So, again, this was, this was really – this was before testing, before you – know, it was a scary time. So um, – but I had a, a good – a great DP, a great crew that's actually based out of – Madison, Wisconsin, and they flew out to LA for me. And we did a virtual shoot, which was another never, been, <laughs> never mm-hmm. been done before. And uh, so we actually met Amanda Gorman that way. I never actually had a chance to, to meet her in person, uh, again, because of the, the pandemic, but, but uh, we filmed with her via Zoom. So that was wild. That's yeah. fantastic. And I, you know, my compliments, you have a good eye, I, you know, you, you, you discovered not, you discovered someone just by flipping through the channels uh, who you knew would have something to offer. And, and that, I mean, that's probably why you're at the top of the heap 
because you have a good eye, you have good instincts. Thank you. Yeah. But again, it really goes back to right place, right time, uh, supportive team, right? I'm one sure, of, sure. of many and uh, really being able to sell that to to, to our, to our, you know, the senior management to say, let's go for it. Let's, let's take this risk. So, uh, but I do feel extremely fortunate that, that I was again in the right place at the right time. And she, uh, was that enough? She still has this title, the, uh, the national youth poet laureate, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's how, uh, our first lady, uh, Jill Biden discovered her, discovered her. I don't know if he, maybe she saw her at, at a poetry reading or something to that effect. I don't, I don't know. I mean, she's, she's very involved in education. So I think she's really has it. She also has a keen eye for talent. She does. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, particular program with Amanda that aired initially. Sure. That aired, uh, so that was a broadcast special that aired in October of 2020. And uh, did you it, know? <laughs> did you know at that point? Well, this this thing has some legs. Oh, I knew. We knew it. I knew it. Yeah, it was one of those things that, um, and I feel like I'm getting a little emotional over it. But I felt so fortunate. Uh, all the right parts, everything just came into place, and it was such a powerful piece that we created that I that I knew we were doing good and it kind of goes back to why why I got into this industry in the first place I felt like we were creating something that would help people and make people feel 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 something and 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 do good so uh yeah right 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 after we we put the whole thing together and again we were pushing it in PBS in the PBS world (laughs) (laughs) things usually take um, in order to, to create content, it takes a really long time. Like we're talking months, sometimes years, but this was all, we, we greenlit this mid July and, uh, produced it at the end of July. We found our families, produced it at the end of July, uh, filmed with Amanda in August and delivered it in September. So it was just a fast track and everybody we're talking, you know, late nights, sometimes no sleep. And, uh, and really, everybody was just at the top of their game to put this together. And then you get an Emmy nomination. Then we did. Yep. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, we, uh, let's see, that was 2021. It feels like 2020 and 2021. Or one year, one long year, <laughs> yeah. It's very hard to distinguish it. But so last year, right? So last year, we, we got our Emmy nom. And everybody uh, just through the roof excited and uh again just very proud very very happy to bring this to to the network you know for pbs is known for just really you know quality material and content so it was it was on par but this was this was very um you know this was close close to the heart so we felt we just we were just so happy about it and now has that translated uh winning the emmy ultimately uh, mm-hmm. f- for this production, uh, giving is it translated into giving you more? Um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Juice, so to speak. Where hey, you, you can you can do what you like. We please bring us some more of that. Oh, I wish. Right, it's still public broadcasting. <laughs> um, so we are really everything is grant based, and and our our budgets are are really non-existent. But um, we we were since since then we have have produced another uh, and we are in the middle of producing another round of PBS kids talk about 
segments. And we actually just just pushed one live about the COVID pandemic. So it's a series of families talking about about what they what we're all going through and, and what the last two years were like uh, in their for, for their families. So that was that was another powerful. That's another powerful video. Um, but yeah, you know, it's actually in a way it's kind of like, okay, back, back to normal, you know, like back to doing what, what's, what's important. And it's for us, it's, um, it's, it's work, right. We're, we're, right. we're working to create educational content for kids. And so this was wonderful and it was shiny. And I, I have this, this, uh, Emmy award just right next to me. And it reminds me that, yep, you know, you, you can do it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's really about um, staying close to to helping families and creating good good content for kids. Exactly. I mean, if you start getting all egotistical and such, you're not going to be doing anything worthwhile. And uh, oh no, you know, and my my kids would make sure that never happened. <laughs> In fact, this is a little bit of a segue, but um, so the Emmy Awards were were virtual, right? So we didn't get to do the red carpet. Um, and that was fine. We actually had a we had a little party here, and my mom came, and my family and friends, and we all we got all dressed up and and watched it and watched it live. But um, but the the Emmy actually arrived uh, maybe a month later, and my kids were really excited. And we open you know we open up this box, and it's it's a box inside of a box, and and it's like it's sitting in this you know this foam, this velvet foam, and I pull it out, and it's shiny and it's gorgeous, and my kids immediately take out their their legos and start playing with it and they're like sliding down the side of the dress of this <laughs> and like hanging off of the globe uh so yeah it, it, there's you know they, we keep it real We're yeah here. that's good it's good stuff that's important mm-hmm. yeah and uh and what about you know some of the reactions you witnessed when uh, witness it, when when uh having children in a room discussing some of, of these really uh, poignant, deep issues, emotional, psychological, mm-hmm. intellectual. What, were you, were you uh, moved by, by what you experienced in terms of how the kids were, were reacting and responding? Yeah, you know what? I was so moved. Uh, and it, we've, we, you know, we've covered a lot of topics, race and racism being a really important one. But, um, you know, we've talked about scary things and being brave. What does it mean to be brave? And, um, you know, feelings, emotions. And, um, I, I, you know, I always love working with kids because they, they have the ability to really channel what's going on in their mind. And they're very, um, very good about just telling you how it is. And it could be funny. It could be, um, you know, it could, it could be startling, but it, it's, uh, and it's also, you know, it could be very moving. Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of these kids, uh, have, have done a really great job of expressing what they're going through. And then likewise, I think seeing parents, um, the, the conversations and the realness and their relationship. I mean, that to me is always so beautiful. Just seeing, um, seeing a relationship between a, a dad and his daughter and the way they're able to communicate and connect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then to be able to show that to other families who maybe need, you know, are looking for a way to connect over a particular topic or how do I, how do I even start talking about racism or, you know, my, how do I even, you know, bridge the gap between, uh, you know, uh, handling feelings and handling emotions. Um, 
that is, yeah, that, that has been a, a true, true privilege really to be able to, um, to show these families in, in a real way. Wonderfully stated. We're talking to Marissa Nalavenko, and uh, she is a writer, director, producer, Emmy Award winning um, efforts, well, effort, and I, I presume more will be coming, uh, though it doesn't matter to her. It's about the content, and it's about the social change that uh, some of uh, the work can can uh, precipitate. And uh, you know, when we when we look at some of our leaders, you notice, in particular, political leaders uh, or corporate uh, leaders as well. Oftentimes, their children convince them that they need to, with their power, with their influence, change things. Uh, so I think it's a nice way that, you know, you're doing it. You're, you are helping children reflect, uh, learn how to, to uh, communicate what they think and, and, and feel with, within areas such as race relations and uh, I'm sure economic disparity and, as you said, scary mm -hmm. things and bra braveness. And then they talk, the little girl or the son uh, talks to dad or mom and says, hey, listen, you know, I think we should be more open about mm -hmm. things like, you know, gay marriage or we should really address racial strife. And and then things might actually get through to to that powerful individual who otherwise won't won't uh, be so moved. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's helping kids find their voice. And, um, you know, even the little I believe that that even the littlest uh kid can, can really make an impact and, and make a change. Right. So, um, I love that. I love that idea thinking that it could, you know, make an impact at, at that level. Um, well, yeah, I think of people like Senator Casey, I remember his daughters really influenced his mindset on a couple of huge issues that he's voted on. Same thing with, uh, former president Barack Obama and the, and the list goes on, you know, president Biden, their children, their grandchildren, oftentimes, you know, and, and every household, you know, our communities, if our children are talking to their parents and the parents are listening, oftentimes that innocence, that, you know, genuineness, that clarity that children have can remind us or show us what is right and what is wrong. And then we and can prioritize for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a great way to, great way to put it. And you're, you're really helping with that. And I, I appreciate what you're doing. PBS is wonderful. So. And, and, yeah. uh, I, you know, the next one will be what? The next uh, focus on uh, the kids talk. Okay, so the next focus. So what we had just we just recently, maybe a month ago, put out the COVID special, mm -hmm. which I feel pretty pretty um, happy about. Uh, but we also have a, a few more about um, family traditions that's coming out, and family family traditions, family pride. Uh, we have one, another uh, one about scary, scary things. And, and actually that one is that one, this was the first time we actually had a family who talked about, um, uh, the mother has a, a terminal illness and that was, that was, uh, that was extremely moving <laughs> on set. And, and this family, again, um, this was a mother and a daughter had a very intimate conversation with us on set and, and, and we, we're, we're in the middle of editing it now. And so we're, we're trying to um, find a good way to be able to share this story without it, you know, exploiting the family or really, you know, pandering. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also feel like it could help a lot of families out there who are dealing with something similar. So it's being 
you know, having this opportunity to be able to talk about these just huge, huge uh, issues, huge, huge life changes in a, in a digestible way for, for little kids, little four-year-olds and five-year-olds, and then all the way up to, to grandparents to be able to digest and, um, and, and, and be able to, to model and, and use, use to help out their lives. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, do you uh, see yourself branching out into anything else or is this good for, for the time being you're doing, I guess you would say these are documentaries. Um, uh, yeah. is that where you want to stay or you're looking at any other sorts of projects or outside of just within, uh, the context of, of children? Uh, you know what? I really feel like I've found my, my, my little niche. I, I love working with kids and I have been for the past 15 years. Um, before that I did do, I worked at discovery channel. I did, I worked on American hot rod. <laughs> so that was like totally different side. Yep. Um, I, and I did some reality television. And so I, I feel like in terms of trying to check those boxes, I feel fortunate in that I was able to, I have been able to experience a lot of different realms of the television and film world. I, um, I, I mean, really right now I'm focused on trying to, to give back and not just, with work, but I, um, I, I'm involved in the community and, and I, uh, there's a, a film festival. I'm going to give you this little, I'm going to do a little plug. Cause Go it's ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been working with a, a team at the, uh, and we're running a, a, the Northeast Pennsylvania film festival and it's through the Waverly community house. And for the past maybe five or six years, we've really been trying to get traction. Uh, but it's this year we have, uh, Stephen Karam from oh, the humans. Yeah, he's a right. Tony Award winner, right? He is a Tony Award winner, and he has the the film uh, adaptation from his from his uh, the his humans? play, the humans. Yep. Yeah. So that's coming up this first weekend of April. So so I'm trying to, I mean, I love being a part of this, right? And I love just trying to share share this excitement and and, and really try to um, help influence other 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 kids and other, you know, college kids who, who might be interested in getting into television or writing or, uh, I'm, I'm trying to just, um, be able to, to be a role model and help others because that's how I got to where I am. Right. Like I, it, you, you, every step of the way there was, there was a strong person really just pushing me and, and supporting me. So I, it's, I think it's also very important to, to give back and, and hold that door open for who, who's ever coming next. Beautiful. I think that's a good place to wrap up our conversation this go-round. Thank you. Sure. No, thank this you. Was, it was great talking to you, and I, 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 I love your program. I love what you're doing, um, and I, I just I wish, you know, I wish you the best of luck, too. Thank you for, for telling these stories. Oh, thank you for saying that. It's my pleasure. I really enjoy it. Marissa Nalavanko, I'll see you out and about maybe at the NEPA Film Festival at the Waverly Com. For those listeners in Manhattan, and Philadelphia, it's not hard to find, and it's a quaint little part of the world, just about two hours away from where you are. Look it up online, the uh, NEPA Film Festival. And Marissa, hopefully we get a chance to talk on the program again in the near future. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Thank you again. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I walk through the 
for complaining, she says as she's about to complain, but villains just aren't what they used to be. I want a bad guy, not someone who flip-flops on where their moral compass points, as in more modern movies and TV shows. Disney is especially known for doing this. In their newest animated features, like Encanto and Moana, there's a distinct lack of a main villain, or if there is one, they're somehow redeemed in the end. They even made multiple film series giving well-known villains like Maleficent and Cruella de Vil tragic backstories to explain why they are the way they are. I don't want cop-outs or saved bad guys. I want my villains to be pure, unadulterated evil. Back in the days of Golden Age Disney fairy tales, the villains were easier to spot. They were usually grotesque, witchy women threatened by a young girl's beauty or magic. They would transform themselves, poison people, and even curse babies to reach their end goal, which was usually murder or power. In short, there was nothing redeemable to find in these people, or in some cases, creatures. They were evil for evil's sake, wanting only to gain power through any means necessary. And usually, those means were nefarious. Take, for instance, one of the most famous of pop culture villains, who was somehow also owned by Disney, Darth Vader. In 1978's Star Wars A New Hope, we were introduced to this bad guy who fought our hero, Luke Skywalker. He is a masked, heavy-breathing figure who could be an alien, human, or a clogged air conditioner, for all we knew of his identity at the time. What we did know was how terrifying he was. While he was physically imposing and mysterious, it was his sadistic streak that chilled people the most. 
I mean, he started his day off by torturing a teenage girl and then blew up her planet right in front of her. The dude's sinister. And you would see this sadistic streak throughout the next two movies as well. I mean, kind of. George Lucas always had it in mind that Darth Vader was actually Luke's father, Anakin Skywalker, who ends up helping his son in the final film of his series instead of turning Luke to the dark side. Long story short, Vader is made into a sympathetic figure in Return of the Jedi. Then, over the next two decades, he gets his own tragic backstory through prequel films, novels, and comics. Not to mention the numerous parodies, Saturday Night Live sketches, and internet memes that have further defanged and basically demasked the terrifying villain, who was once willing to blow up his daughter's home planet without a second thought. But then, our good friend Disney did something different. Rogue One, A Star Wars Story was released in 2016. It's a prequel in a long line of Star Wars prequels that takes place right before the first time we ever get to see Vader on film in A New Hope. He has a cameo at the end where he massacres an entire ship of rebel soldiers in one of the most horrific scenes ever shot in the Star Wars franchise. And it was freaking awesome. After years of viewers almost forgetting who the real Vader was, we see it plain as day in his savage use of his powers. Which now begs the question, does a backstory ruin a villainous character? Does the fact that Maleficent was brutally attacked as a young woman, shown in her origin movie, completely negate the fact that she curses Sleeping Beauty with an imminent coma as a baby? And I don't think anything that happened to Cruella de Vil would ever, realistically, give us all the green light to accept the fact that she wanted to skin a bunch of puppies. Huh. So maybe I was jumping a bit to conclusions when I said I needed a villain to just be some two-dimensional stock character. I think maybe I need more of a balance instead of just pure badness. While the unknown evil Vader I first saw in A New Hope will always give me goosebumps, it's interesting to note that with the full knowledge of his history, doesn't change the essential viciousness of, a, of his character. Especially when I watch him walk out of that fog-filled elevator in Rogue One, a pile of rebel bodies at his feet. It's honestly scarier to see that one human, no matter how good and righteous they could start out as, could fall so far. Maybe that's the point. I don't need a good villain, I just need a well-written character. And now maybe I can stop complaining. Meh. Unlikely. Trying to get on top But it's never easy Mastered my own luck But it wasn't easy Trying to feel alright Around all these people I try but I'm just not This time Deepest cut that I can feel Find my grip on the steering Say I'm not trying 
Butterfly. Whiskey surprise and sweet lullabies, stumbling like an inebriated otter in the wild, getting in phase with my inner child. I saw a monarch butterfly a few days back. Spring is almost here. I can smell and hear it near. March into April lightly. You know my mama so close to the wrong wish That lady who I always thought was rich And I considered her
got them permanent waves And we walk through the cemetery looking at all the graves To Thompson's Market for candy and pop We did it almost every day We used to look to see if we could find a patch of green As the winter came to a close and spring Was blossoming, the ground was coming alive And it smelled so clean Episode 464 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Marissa Nalavenko, Marnie Azarelli, and these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, Faye Webster, Zero Seven, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Hiem, John Grant, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard Two. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself, and others do.